This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What is the mission of the Strategic Issues Team at the Government Accountability Office, GAO? What is the goal of GAO's high-risk series? And what are the fiscal management and performance challenges facing government executives today? I'll explore these questions and so much more with my very special guest, Michelle Sager, Managing Director of GAO's Strategic Issues Team. Michelle, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about GAO's work. Yeah, so let's start from the beginning then. Uh, What does the U.S. Government Accountability Office, GAO, do, and what are some of the core ways it carries out its mission? Definitely. So first, in terms of what we do, GAO is sometimes referred to as the federal watchdog, and we are an independent, nonpartisan professional services agency that advises Congress about ways to make government more efficient, more effective, equitable, and responsive. So in in brief, we are a legislative branch agency, and Congress is our client. Our mission is to support Congress in meeting its constitutional responsibilities and help improve the performance and ensure the accountability of the federal government for the benefit of the American people. Uh, You ask about how we carry out our work, and in terms of how we carry out this mission, it's largely in response to congressional mandates that are included in public laws or in requests that we receive from congressional committees. As we do this work, one way we think about it is oversight, insight, and foresight-related projects that are typically reports, testimony for congressional hearings, and briefings for congressional staff. And so all of that uh, is conducted through evaluations of federal programs and performance, financial and management audits, policy analyses, legal opinions, bid protest adjudications, as well as investigations. In terms of how we do our work, one of the things that we do is we take the questions that are posed by Congress to explore federal policy implementation, and we conduct analyses and then make recommendations to federal agencies to improve how the government works. We then follow up on these recommendations to see what actions agencies take in response, as well as to measure the impact of our work. So we continuously advise lawmakers and federal agencies on how they can make government work better. And then finally, I would be remiss if I did not also mention kind of the foundation for everything that we do. Our core values are accountability, integrity, and reliability. And we have a pretty extensive process to determine uh, that we're assuring quality throughout our work, 
that we're remaining independent, that we're objective, and that we are nonpartisan. And so at every stage of the process of conducting our work, we are constantly checking to make sure that we are maintaining those core values. And those core values work in concert with our people values, that our staff are valued, respected, and treated fairly. And then finally, our work very intentionally also reflects a focus on embracing and sustaining a culture of diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. So that was a lot of words, uh, but at the end of the day, we're a legislative branch agency, Congress is our client, and we conduct a pretty broad range of work to try and make the government work better. Michelle, you are the managing director of the strategic issues team at GAO, and I was hoping you could help us understand and outline how GAO is organized, and more importantly, where your portfolio fits into that organization, and outline for us some of the key topics and areas of focus under your portfolio. Definitely. And I will freely admit at the outset that when someone hears strategic issues, It's not intuitive what that means. So I often hear uh, from my own family as well as from new staff, well, that sounds really important, but I have no idea what that means. So I'll definitely explain that. At kind of the highest level, GAO is largely organized by subject matters. So we have 15 mission teams that support our external strategic goals. And then we also have internal staff offices and operations teams that support everything we do about conducting our work. So each of these 15 mission teams, including strategic issues, manages a portfolio of projects to ensure that we meet congressional needs for independent and unbiased information and analysis. And the strategic issues team helps Congress address a number of cross-cutting national challenges, and that includes the nation's fiscal health, census operations, tax policy and administration, regulatory issues, intergovernmental issues, and federal workforce planning. In addition to all of that, uh, we also lead GAO's efforts to look broadly across the federal government at a number of multi-agency projects. So, for example, we lead GAO's high-risk program, which identifies agencies and programs that are vulnerable to waste, fraud, abuse, or mismanagement, or are in need of fundamental transformation. And then in addition to that, we also lead GAO's work on opportunities to reduce fragmentation, overlap, and duplication, and achieve other financial benefits through either cost savings and revenue enhancements. I was wondering, what are some of the top challenges you face in your position, uh, Michelle, and how have you sought to address some of those challenges, maybe perhaps turn them into opportunities? Definitely. And there are many challenges at any given time, and we continue to live in interesting times. Uh, So I won't focus on all of them, but I'll focus on just a couple that really stand out at this moment in time. And they're common throughout GAO, as well as throughout many other organizations, particularly for entities that are part of what you might think of as the knowledge industry. So the first of these challenges is the ongoing challenge of continuing to thrive as we approach the three-year anniversary of the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, And the second one that I want to focus on is envisioning the future of work. So first, in terms of continuing to thrive in a pandemic environment, we at GAO, uh, as well as in strategic issues, have continued to maintain 
a flexible approach to our operations, both out of necessity, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, as well as because that helps us function really effectively. So for right now, much of our work continues to be conducted virtually. And we were really fortunate as an organization insofar as we had a tradition of telework in place. We were prepared to work remotely. And so we were really able to pivot literally almost overnight without disrupting our operations. And along the way, we've continued iterative improvements to many initiatives to support that virtual work, to support training, onboarding, as well as making sure that we're maintaining connectedness and capturing some of the kinds of things that we used to do to really facilitate teamwork in an in-person environment, even though many of us continue to work virtually. So that's one big ongoing challenge that is pretty common throughout the economy and is something that remains very much a work in progress, but I'm also really, really proud of the organization and we've all absolutely benefited from what was in place pre-pandemic to allow us to make that pivot and continue delivering and producing results for Congress. So that's the first challenge. And then second, as we envision the future of work, we uh, continue to consider a future that will support that remote or virtual posture as well as hybrid work. And that will help us meet the needs of our clients as well as make sure that we're obtaining information from primarily from federal agencies and doing that efficiently and effectively. And along the way, of course, we function in a team-based environment. So maintaining that connectedness in the workplace continues to be very important and we continue to refine our approach to doing so. And so in the midst of all of that, we also remain focused on making sure that we're conducting our work efficiently so that we can deliver timely information to Congress while absolutely maintaining all of our quality assurance processes that define the nature of our objective, fact-based, nonpartisan analysis. So a lot of challenges, but we have also been able to make sure that we can leverage what was already in place and then respond to the moment, as well as just really clearly communicate with our client and with our federal agencies that we obtain information from along the way. So certainly those things continue to be a challenge, but I think we've definitely been able to take what was already in place and continue moving forward in a positive direction. I was wondering, Michelle, as you were going through some of those challenges, it, it kind of prompted my next question around what brought you to your current role? Perhaps you could highlight for us uh, some of your interests and, and maybe your career path. Definitely. And Rather than I think kind of sort of going through in a CV sort of or resume sort of way, I would say at a high level, uh, my career path is one that has been defined by periodic reinvention. Uh, and at GAO, one of the things that has definitely kept me here is the opportunity to periodically reinvent myself as well as continue looking at new topics and having new team configurations. So it's always a dynamic environment that's very fresh. So for example, at GAO, I've moved around among four different mission teams. And in addition to that, I would say some common threads throughout my career that GAO has definitely offered include uh, being able to continuously learn and doing so in a dynamic environment 
as well as having opportunities to continue contributing to something that is bigger than myself for a greater good. And GAO, given where it sits and the opportunities to provide nonpartisan objective information to Congress on everything that the federal dollar touches, provides all of that and more. So during my time at GAO, I've had literally um, opportunities to be a part of history on a broad range of issues that really touch on almost every federal agency, as well as the public, private, nonprofit sectors, all levels of government and domestic and international issues. And then GAO's people values, uh, they're real, they define every day, and they're essential to making sure that we achieve our mission, and they really do make GAO a great place to work. In fact, in July of this year, of 2022, the Partnership for Public Service ranked GAO as first among mid-sized federal agencies as a best place to work, and that is in fact true, I can attest to that. Um, and then another thing I would mention is GAO's appeal definitely stands out. It stood out when I applied and it has continued to do so because of this focus on results. So when you work at GAO, you are contributing to something and you can see the actual impact of what you're doing. You're learning a lot along the way, but not just for your own knowledge, for contributing to something, seeing agencies take action, seeing Congress take action on the results of your work. So that can include um, financial and non-financial benefits that help change laws, improve public safety and public services, and also just promote better management throughout the government. So in brief, my time at GAO, it began as an intersection of my interest and GAO's mission, and it has definitely continued as I appreciate the incredibly talented and dedicated people. And along the way, it has allowed me to see that our work makes a difference for the American people. That's great. And, you know, it's, it's a nice segue into my next question, Michelle. Um, given your career path, given the, the many places within GAO you've spent time in, I was wondering, uh, with that as a backdrop, what are the characteristics uh, in your mind of an effective leader? And are there any specific principles, leadership principles you'd like to uh, share with us that you follow? I think it's important to acknowledge that leadership principles and approaches are always evolving and that they very much should be something that every leader is always questioning and refining. So along those lines, one of the things I do is I try to observe and learn from others um, as well as do things such as reading biographies and reading history to have that broader context for my own corner of the world. And then in addition to that, I try to periodically carve out time to kind of step back and think strategically about the direction of my own team, as well as um, how I prioritize and allocate my time to help the whole team accomplish its goals. In any leadership role, I think it's important to kind of have a sense of your own why. So why are you in this position? And also to think about your organization's why. What is the mission of the organization and what does success look like? So, for example, I talked earlier about what GAO is and how we conduct our work. And building on that in, in this current role, it's one of enterprise leadership uh, of a cross-functional, multidisciplinary team that is made up of multiple portfolios that are comprised of individual project teams. So, leading the team means 
being able to work closely with individuals at every level in the team, but also delegating day-to-day -day responsibility to others on a whole range of fronts. And the way that works is through things such as periodic standing check-in meetings so that you make sure you have visibility into the work and provide accountability, but also that you're constantly kind of checking on goals and outcomes. And another way of thinking about this is to kind of think about three primary spheres, um, portfolio management, people leadership, and then focusing on results. What is the goal of GAO's High Risk series? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Michelle Sager, Managing Director of GAO's Strategic Issues team. This year, as I understand it, uh, GAO published its latest uh, strategic plan, and it emphasizes uh, strategic issues and potential future trends that may affect federal government and, and society at large. And that's what I, I find I like about the uh, strategic plan that GAO puts out. But given your team's experience in strategic planning, um, what role did you or your team play in helping develop and shape GAO's own strategic plan? So our team definitely played a role and every entity at the organization plays a role in the strategic planning process. So as part of that process, we emphasize foresight, continuous environmental scanning and trend analysis. And that helps us think about our decision-making as well as our long-term planning. So for example, with Insights from our Center for Strategic Foresight at GAO, our team works with them to identify emerging issues and challenges that pose both risks and opportunities for the federal government. In addition, as, as part of that planning process and as an output that accompanied the GAO strategic plan, we work together to identify 12 broad trends with likely effects on government and society in the next five to 15 years. As part of that process, one of the things that we do is we have a pretty extensive review of external literature. We have discussions with outside advisors and with experts. And then for our team, specifically the strategic issues team, our strategic planning process also includes input from all of the individuals on our team. So we're all part of this process. And as we conduct that work, we're talking to our congressional clients. We are building in our staff 
subject matter expertise, and we're also asking for everyone in the team to be thinking about strategic planning with a foresight lens as they do kind of continuous scanning of trends that help make sure that GAO remains an agile and responsive organization. So the way that plays out is that it's not kind of a one-and-done strategic plan that we complete, put on the shelf, and don't revisit, but we are continuously and periodically updating our key efforts and trends that can then reflect shifts in congressional priorities, as well as areas that we expect to be conducting work on based on this foresight work. And then we're making uh, revisions along the way to our resource allocations and disclosing that in our annual performance plans that are available on GAO's website. So it's a pretty extensive process. And in some respects, uh, I think a hallmark of organizations that conduct strategic planning really well is something that's reflected at GAO, that it's, it's never really complete. We do have a, a strategic plan that is in place, but the process itself is one that is continuous and ongoing. Mm, that's great to know. You know, uh, now we can get into some of the, the core areas that you that you focus your time on. And, and I understand that in 2021, GAO issued the biennial update to the high-risk risk report. And I, I was wondering, Michelle, what are some of the key high-risk areas that were identified in the latest report? What issues may have been removed? Perhaps you could share with us from the list. And what areas have been added over the last, uh, since this last update? So I'll give kind of a high level of this work, and this is uh, one of many bodies of work that it's really a privilege to be a part of at GAO. It has existed now for a couple of decades, and it is a way that we help Congress focus attention on those issues that are some of the, the highest risks and also the greatest opportunities across the entire federal government. So we update this list at the beginning of every Congress. We're currently in the process of pulling together and updating the list for 2023, and we'll present that to Congress in the new year. And we currently have 38 areas that are designated as high risk, and they're designated as high risk due to vulnerabilities to fraud, waste, abuse, and mismanagement, or because they face economy efficiency or effectiveness challenges, or they're in need of fundamental transformation. One thing that was different in 2022 is that we added two new issues to the list kind of outside of the regular two-year cycle of our high-risk reports issued at the beginning of every new Congress. So our most recent areas added to the list were first HHS leadership and coordination of public health emergencies, and second, the unemployment insurance system. In addition, in March of 2022, we issued a kind of a special project that reported on key practices to help agencies successfully address high-risk areas and ideally eventually be removed from the list. And as we are conducting this work, one of the things that we keep very close track of is the financial benefits resulting from this focus on high-risk areas. And in the last 17 years, those financial benefits have totaled about $675 billion. So there are real results that result from this work. And those results also reflect some areas being removed from the list. There's sometimes a, a kind of urban myth, urban legend, that once you're on the list, you stay there forever. And that is definitely not the case. So, for example, in 2021, we removed an area known as Department of Defense Support Infrastructure Management, 
because DOD had made great progress on the issue. For example, DAO had more efficiently used their leased space. They had reduced their infrastructure footprint and they had reduced cost. And then in addition to that, over time, there are a number of areas that have been removed from the list that are really wide-ranging, everything from mitigating gaps in weather satellite data to uh, establishing effective mechanisms for sharing and managing terrorist-related information to protect the homeland to management of interagency contracting. In fact, since we began the list in, 2000, in 1990, we have added 66 areas to the high-risk list, and we have removed more than 40% of them in response to agencies showing sufficient progress to address the problems that we identify. And even for those areas that remain on the list, many of them have made meaningful progress and have demonstrated significant financial and non-financial benefits. So, you know, you, you highlighted that, that there is a perception uh, rightly or wrongly, Michelle, that, you know, once you're on this list, you can't get off or something like that. And yeah, as a follow-up, how do you work with agencies who are on the high-risk list or have an area in there to improve and get off it? And would you maybe elaborate on that process? Definitely. And we're real, we try to be absolutely transparent about what it is that we're measuring and what criteria we use. So the criteria that we're measuring and that we're assessing agency progress against include leadership commitment, capacity, whether or not they have an action plan, monitoring, and demonstrated progress. And the key elements that are needed to make progress in high-risk areas include having agency leaders uh, focus top-level attention on these areas, having agency leaders grounded in these five criteria for removal, and then sometimes it also requires congressional action. We work very closely with agency leaders to talk about the agencies they're taking in response to our recommendations. And we also engage with agencies through very high-level meetings to talk about their strategies for addressing high-risk areas. This is absolutely a top priority for GAO, and we maintain our emphasis on identifying high-risk issues across the government, uh, on providing recommendations and sustained attention to help agencies address these areas. We also work with Congress to talk about what they can do to help facilitate action, and then we also work closely with OMB. So as part of this effort, OMB's role is often especially important because many of these high-risk areas are government-wide or they involve multiple agencies. And often there are also resource investments that are associated with correcting high-risk problems. And one of the things that has been gaining momentum over the past couple of years is what we call tripartite meetings. These are high-level meetings with OMB leaders, with top agency leaders, and then with the GAO teams who are working on the individual areas to talk about agencies' progress in addressing individual high-risk areas. And these have really helped us maintain momentum and focus attention on areas that exist on actions that are being taken, as well as what else needs to happen in order to continue to show progress. That's terrific, Michelle. And, you know, I want to switch gears from the high-risk area and talk about the the other strategic issue you deal with in your portfolio, and you mentioned it earlier, the overlap, fragmentation, and duplication in federal programs. And, and the annual report 
that that focuses on that. I believe came out um, last in 2021. Are there any new areas identified in that report? Um, and, and I'd like to understand some of the strategies and recommendations that GAO has offered that can help address these issues. And how does this, this effort around this particular topic area inform government policymakers who deal with continued you know, fiscal pressure facing the federal government? Definitely. And this is a, another kind of signature area for GAO. And again, strategic issues is privileged and being in the position of leading this work and it absolutely requires the input and commitment from basically every other part of the organization because it cuts across the entire federal enterprise. So we have been looking at duplication, overlap, and fragmentation for a number of years now and in our most recent report we identified 94 new actions in 21 new areas as well as nine existing areas that could reduce fragmentation, overlap, and duplication, or importantly, provide other cost savings or opportunities to enhance revenue across the federal government. Since we started this work in 2011, uh, this is a little bit eye-popping, we've identified 1,299 duplication, overlap, and fragmentation actions. And Congress and executive branch agencies had fully addressed 724 of these actions as of March 2022, and that yielded more than $500 billion in financial benefits. So it's important work, and it definitely produces results. So that's a lot of actions. It um, would be easy to drone on for a really long time talking about them. I'll mention just a couple of examples. Um, one example, uh, the Department of Energy could save tens of billions of dollars by adopting alternative ways to treat low-activity radioactive waste. Another area that's kind of near and dear to our team's heart is uh, the Internal Revenue Service, where they could save $20 million or more annually and improve taxpayer services by establishing a means to identify, monitor, and mitigate issues that contribute to refund interest payments. Um, and then a third example, uh, the Department of Defense could save millions of dollars by better managing fragmentation in its food program and then strengthening ongoing initiatives to reduce defense travel payments that are improper. So it's really wide ranging, uh, a lot of different areas across the federal government. And we continue to work with Congress as well as with federal agencies on areas that they can take action to address these fragmented overlapping or duplicative areas. And they've been really receptive to this work. And it in turn, as I mentioned, has saved literally tens of billions of dollars. Uh, that's amazing. Um... You know, I'd like to delve into specifics. Where I'm going with this is the sustainable long-term fiscal path of the country. You know, I'm trying to think about the national government. What And you focus on that at GAO. And I was hoping you could elaborate for us the challenges uh, that are affecting the federal budget, both near and long-term. And, and could you give us an overview of the work GAO has done in this area and any recommendations or strategies delivered uh, from this work to the Hill, to the administration? 
Definitely. So we at GAO report on America's fiscal future every year. And we've been doing this in one form or fashion for a couple of decades now. GAO first started producing uh, something we referred to as the federal fiscal model in the early 1990s as a way to be able to focus congressional attention on the long-term fiscal outlook. And we continue to monitor the nation's fiscal health as well as to provide near-term options to improve the nation's fiscal condition. The bottom line, more or less, has been pretty consistent over a number of years, and that is that the federal government faces an unsustainable fiscal future. To delve into a little bit more detail, at the end of fiscal year 2021, debt held by the public was about 100% of gross domestic product. That was a 33% increase from fiscal year 2019. And we're not alone in this. Uh, Projections from the Office of Management and Budget, Treasury, the Congressional Budget Office, as well as GAO, all show that current fiscal policy is unsustainable for the long term. And that is essentially because we're spending a lot more money than we are collecting. And addressing this balance will require changes to both the spending and the revenue side of our fiscal policies. One of the things that GAO has said to change this unsustainable fiscal outlook is that Congress should develop a plan to place the government on a sustainable long-term fiscal path. And as you might expect, there are a lot of different views and opinions about what this might look like, but uh, there will need to be some difficult budgetary and policy decisions to address the key drivers of the debt, as well as to change the government's fiscal path. And the underlying conditions that are driving our current unsustainable fiscal outlook existed well before the pandemic. Every year since fiscal year 2002, the federal government has run a deficit, meaning that spending exceeds revenues, and that then adds to the debt. So going forward, spending, including for Social Security, for Medicare and Medicaid, and for net interest on the debt, is projected to continue outpacing revenue by increasing amounts. And demographic and other trends, uh, such as rising healthcare costs, are putting pressure on declining Social Security and Medicare trust funds. And in addition to that, um, higher interest rates could also combine with rising debt to increase deficit going forward. So uh, going forward, Congress should develop a long-term plan to provide a cohesive picture of the government's fiscal goals and a roadmap to achieving them. And that could support these difficult policy decisions that are needed to achieve a more sustainable fiscal policy, one where publicly held debt is stable or declining relative to the size of the economy. Very uh, smart and rational. Uh, suggestions. Uh, You know, Michelle, enhancing the customer experience uh, is a key priority for the current administration. And I was wondering to that end, would you tell us more about GAO's work in addressing? uh, The example I want to talk about is the recent work around um, persistent tax filing challenges that the IRS is dealing with. What are some of those core challenges that IRS is facing in the processing and implementing of, of tax law changes, say, that were in the CARES Act? And are there any recommendations from GAO to IRS on how to improve that process? 
GAO has produced many, many reports as well as recommendations that address tax policy and administration, including reports every year on the tax filing season and taxpayer experience. So this is a really important topic for us, and I'm so glad you asked this question. You mentioned the CARES Act, and it is important to note that the IRS received additional funding as well as additional responsibilities during the pandemic, and those responsibilities included issuing economic impact payments or stimulus payments, as well as issuing monthly advanced child tax credit payments. So we have issued a number of reports on these topics, and one of our recent reports on the Internal Revenue Service and uh, funding, as well as financial reporting controls and GAO recommendations, kind of summarized a lot of this work. So we have talked about open recommendations that GAO has made to IRS that IRS needs to take action on, and those fall into a couple of categories. One is to fully implement its workforce planning initiative to identify agency-wide and division performance goals to address that customer service or taxpayer experience that you ask about, and then also to reestablish goals to improve voluntary compliance. To dive a little bit deeper, in February of 2022, we testified that IRS had experienced challenges in managing recent filing season, and that included difficulties hiring workers to process returns, as well as implementing tax law changes that arrived through public laws, including the CARES Act. These challenges contributed to a backlog of returns to process, as well as to taxpayers having difficulty reaching someone to talk to at the IRS. For example, IRS expected to answer only about 35% of incoming calls in the 2022 filing season. And to help manage those call volumes, IRS urged taxpayers to use something called uh, Where's My Refund, an online tool, but that tool only provided limited information, and you were not always able to find answers to your question through the use of that tool. So we've made a number of recommendations to IRS to improve both processing and customer service. And then in 2022, the agency received a substantial sum of money, $79.4 billion over 10 years to improve compliance, among other things. So we will continue tracking all of these things, including the taxpayer experience, as well as IRS action in response to our list. And I should note, IRS and tax law enforcement has been on our high risk list for many years, and that provides another avenue for us to continue following up on all of these really important issues related to tax policy and administration. Michelle, I'd like to switch gears in subject area around the U.S. Census. And the GAO has uh, a report from June 2021 uh, that highlights the fact that the census process continues to be very costly. And I was wondering what lessons learned can be shared from preparing for and conducting the 2020 census that could be used to help the Bureau in planning the 2030 effort. And, and what are some of the recommendations to improve resiliency of the 2030 census around research and testing activity? Uh, definitely. And it's hard to pick just a few. And you'll note a common theme in a lot of my responses in that 
all the work that we do and basically all of government operations have definitely been influenced by the reality of the pandemic environment. And the Census Bureau, of course, is part of that in that the 2020 decennial census was happening in the midst of the pandemic. So in 2022, one of the things that we really looked at and reported on was any lessons learned from planning and implementing the 2020 census so that it could then provide insight to prepare for the 2030 decennial census. So specifically to inform planning for the 2030 census, one of the things that we found was that the Census Bureau can leverage those lessons learned from 2020 related to uh, the budgetary uncertainty that they experienced to IT development and privacy controls to program management and to local level data. So for example, with regard to budget uncertainty in the 2020 census, funding changes led to some delays and cancellation of activities. And some of that included uh, verifying the Bureau's national inventory of addresses. So we recommended that the census develop a plan to protect key 2030 research and testing from budget disruptions. Some other lessons learned include um, focusing on those privacy and cybersecurity controls to mitigate risks in technology development, to build on some of their progress in program management so that we can have a high quality cost-effective census, and then to use the local data to enhance national decision-making. To sum up, we recommended that the Bureau develop a plan to improve the resiliency of its 2030 census research and then test activity in response to budget uncertainty identified by the Bureau. And that could include, but certainly is not limited to, the test and the projects that are most important to conduct. And the Department of Commerce agreed with these findings and the recommendation, and we will definitely be continuing to follow census activities throughout the decade leading up to the 2030 census. What are the fiscal, management, and performance challenges facing today's government executive? I'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Michelle Sager, Managing Director of GAO's Strategic Issues Team. 
Michelle, the U.S. federal government faces seemingly intractable public management issues that truly go to the core of effective governance and leadership, testing the very form, structure, and capacity required to meet 21st century challenges head on. But would you tell us more about the fiscal management and performance challenges facing today's government executive? Definitely. There are, as you mentioned, a lot of challenges facing government executives, and I'll try to focus on some that are common to executives across the federal government, as as well as uh, there are issues that we have issued findings and reports about from our strategic issues team. So the first challenge is one that is prevalent and has existed for a number of years, and that is continuing to manage in an environment of budget uncertainty and continuing resolutions. Uh, Many of your listeners probably know this, but a a continuing resolution, it's a temporary spending bill that allows the federal government to continue operations before final appropriations are approved by Congress and the president. And without final appropriations or a continuing resolution, then there would be a lapse in funding that results in a shutdown. And continuing resolutions, more commonly known as CRs, they're really the rule rather than the exception. There have been 47 CRs between fiscal year 2010 and 2022. And on three occasions during that period in fiscal years 2014, 2018, and 2019, we had circumstances where there was not a CR approved and we did have government shutdowns. And in fact, right now, the federal government is currently under CR for fiscal year 2023 that expires on December 18th. So continuing resolutions are common. They do keep our government running until a final appropriation is enacted, but they exist at a cost. So in a July 2022 report, GAO looked at how federal departments are affected by CRs. And one of the things that we heard is that CRs do result in some administrative inefficiencies and they limit management options in areas such as hiring or travel for agencies. So that's a big continuing challenge, budget uncertainty and operating in an environment of continuing resolutions. The second challenge that I would mention is uh, something we also talk about in our high-risk list, and that is skills gaps. So mission-critical skills gaps, both within federal agencies and across the federal workforce. These skills gaps pose a high risk to the nation because they can impede the government from cost-effectively serving the public and achieving results. And their causes vary greatly, uh, but they're often due to a shortfall in one or more talent management activities, such as robust workforce planning or training. And recently, we've seen skills gaps in areas that include science, technology, engineering, math, cybersecurity, and acquisitions. And this is something that has been on our high-risk list since 2001. We have had a lot of conversations with the Office of Personnel Management, as well as individual agencies, and we're continuing following this area. And then the third public management challenge I'll mention is one that has renewed momentum as agencies continue to implement a couple of different public laws that include the Government Performance and Results Act, Modernization Act, the Digital Accountability and Transparency Act, and the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. So under uh, 
GIPRMA, Government Performance Results Act, Modernization Act, that's a mouthful. Uh, agencies are required to demonstrate performance, and this is an important ongoing challenge that matters for all of us. In some respects, the work is never done, and that's a good thing in that we should always be striving for ongoing analysis of whether or not we are achieving the goals we set, as well as seeking improvement in how the government functions. So this challenge continues to evolve, and it revolves around the need to demonstrate value for money through evidence and data as agencies implement federal programs and focus on results. And it's also one that we can all assess and have transparency into on a number of government websites, performance.gov, evaluation.gov, and usaspending.gov. Finally, and as residents, citizens, and taxpayers, I think we should expect and uh, also welcome ongoing attention to this challenge of, of demonstrating results, assessing what works, and then deciding what needs to be improved. As I understand it, Michelle, in fiscal year 2021, GAO received about uh, 652 requests for work from 90% of the standing committees of the Congress supporting a broad range of congressional interests. Um, how has your portfolio managed resources effectively given such operational tempo? This is a, a, a good challenge for GAO in that it means that the Congress is really interested in our work and uh, appreciates the information we provide. And so the, the amount of work that GAO receives from the Congress has required us within strategic issues as well as across the organization to think about new ways that we can help Congress receive information when they need it. And as evidenced by the large number of requests and mandates that GAO has received, the demand for our work remains high. And in the midst of that, the issues that we are asked about are often complex and nuanced, and often they involve multiple agencies or the whole of government. Along the way, we absolutely have to make sure that our work is objective, that our findings are unassailable, and that often requires complex methodologies, um, extensive interaction with federal agencies, and then along the way, lots of quality review to make sure that we can stand behind the information we're producing. So as we are doing this, we are continuously engaging with our clients to understand their priorities and to make sure that we are sequencing our work to meet those priorities. We also have a lot of conversations with the clients to make sure we are scoping the work and making sure we can ensure quality while also being timely. And that requires providing regular updates to explain what we're doing and what we're finding. And sometimes it, we also provide kind of just-in-time technical assistance to answer their immediate questions. All of that involves talking to clients throughout the year, both on individual projects as well as kind of from a portfolio perspective to make sure that we are communicating the status of our work and then recalibrating when necessary in response to, for example, request for testimony or new interest that emerge. And one of the things that we have done recently is we've been thinking and talking about different ways of communicating our results. So for example, one of the things that we have done is kind of two-page quick read products. One of them is called a, a snapshot. It's kind of a, a short report that is ideal for smartphone access to provide an overview of a broad topic. 
on previously issued work. And in our team, we, in 2022, issued a snapshot product on stimulus payments or direct payments to individuals during the COVID-19 pandemic. And that product had great interest both from the Congress as well as throughout other parts of the federal government and allowed us to communicate information very succinctly while also providing a lot of links to the underlying work. So those are a couple of things that we do. And then along the way, we also engage in continuous improvement of our processes and our internal operations. So for example, we have an ongoing initiative within GAO that includes, of course, strategic issues as well as all the other mission teams to make sure we're really thinking about how we manage our projects and how we can make sure that we have timely information that we deliver to Congress. I was wondering, how are you leveraging both collaboration and partnerships within GAO and across the federal enterprise to improve management operations and program outcomes? Collaboration is absolutely critical to the work that we do. And within GAO, we have a number of kind of checks and balances in place to make sure that we are leveraging expertise across the organization internally and matrixing with other experts where appropriate. In addition, much of our work is multidisciplinary, and so we do work on cross-functional teams where we leverage that expertise in different subject matters, as well as on methodologies, on law, on economics, and on specific technologies. In addition to all of that, uh, to achieve our strategic goals and objective, we also coordinate with other organizations that have either similar or complementary missions. So, for example, GAO uses advisory panels and other bodies that inform our strategic and annual work planning. And then we coordinate with other legislative branch agencies, including the Congressional Research Service and the Congressional Budget Office, both to make sure that we are not duplicating effort, but also that we are communicating and leveraging related work. And then in addition to that, we continue collaborating with uh, national and international government accountability and professional organizations that include other federal agency inspectors general, state and local audit organizations, and then the national audit offices of other countries. And all of these different networks help us extend our institutional knowledge and experience, leverage our own resources, and I think deliver a much more nuanced, informed series of products and analyses to Congress. That's terrific. You know, as we close our conversation, Michelle, I was wondering, are there three or so key takeaways you want to leave with our listeners? Definitely. I think uh, a couple things that I would highlight that are um, already in motion and that I would like your listeners to think about. One is I would definitely encourage anyone to visit the GAO website, gao.gov, and that is a place where they can explore topics of interest and also subscribe to updates regarding GAO's work. So in addition to timely information about everything in the federal purview, you can just skim the daily summary of issued products. And that I think is an important reminder of the importance of oversight as one element of the checks and balances in our government. Um, second, I would encourage any listeners to uh, be in touch with any suggestions or targets of opportunity for improvement to government policies and programs. 
on GAO's homepage, you can find contact information for our Office of Public Affairs, for GAO's subject matter experts, as well as for FraudNet, which is a resource to share information about fraud. And then third, I would just like to share kind of a sense of the optimism that exists in terms of the country's future. We continue to live in interesting and challenging times, and whether it's the ongoing pandemic, climate change, workforce challenges, divisions on a whole host of, easy, of issues, it can be kind of easy to sort of doom scroll through the news of the day and then walk away with a really negative view of where the country is headed. But in the midst of all of that, um, one of the things that I am reminded of every day as we conduct our work is that there are public servants at GAO and across the federal government who are really deeply committed to making sure that the government works as effectively and efficiently as possible and that the government has strategies in place to grapple with these incredible challenges on many fronts. And so that's been one of the interesting side benefits of working at GAO is that we have this opportunity to have a bird's eye view on a broad range of issues throughout the federal government. And in every interaction with congressional staff and with federal agency officials, I'm impressed by just the dedication of individuals who are really dedicated and devoted to public service because they want to improve the country and they want to provide service to the American people and, and find solutions for the challenges facing our country. I think, I think you kind of hit my last question. Uh, but maybe, I don't know, I'll just ask it anyway. And that is, you know, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? I would say uh, in the simplest form, accept the challenge. There are really tremendous opportunities to make a difference uh, and to contribute to something that is bigger than yourself. And I know people might think it sounds trite, but it's really true. You really can make the world a better place. And there are great needs throughout the federal government to have experts in place. And even if you don't know immediately where you fit, I would say just take a look. If you're interested in working at GAO, we have a careers page on our website and I would direct you there. And if, if that's not right for you, if you go to usajobs.gov, you'll also see just the incredible range of public service opportunities that exist. And there are really incredible ways that you can contribute to something much bigger than yourself and make a difference. Well, Michelle, I, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us uh, the mission of GAO and in particular the efforts and work and the great work and success of the strategic issues team at GAO. But more importantly, Michelle, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about our team and to talk about all the great work that is happening at GAO. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Michelle Sager. Managing Director of GAO's Strategic Issues Team. But be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery 
by Yan-Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.